Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another brief episode of Clinical Appraisal. I'm your host, Ian Lane. And a quick disclaimer, nothing I say constitutes medical advice. This is purely educational content and nothing more. I am just signing on quickly to make a comment about something that is making the rounds and I suspect will continue to flood the internet. Uh, Recently, within the last several days or couple of days, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, released some new data. Some, they released data that's not particularly new, but it's newly released anyway, stating that, quote, just 6%, unquote, of all COVID-related mortalities in the United States are due exclusively to Uh, COVID-19, in that only 6% of all of the deaths thus far had no other pre-morbid, comorbid conditions, while something like 2.6, excuse me, while uh, something like um, 94% had 2.6 other comorbidities, significant health risks. Um, And um, while there are there are many things to consider i haven't posted anything on covid-19 since uh, i actually can't remember what it is now perhaps it was april um and and even back in those episodes i recall explicitly stating that you know everything i was saying could be different depending on the new data that was coming out. Now we have thousands upon thousands of articles that have either been um, extensively reviewed uh, or, you know, obviously uh, a good proportion of which are peer-reviewed and published, um, but a, in a much greater proportion of which are still in the preprint sphere. Um, but we've amassed... an inordinate amount of data at this point. And so there's lots and lots and lots to say far beyond what I had said in the beginning. Um, There's much more to discuss far beyond the modeling estimates, which um, were off, (laughs) but only insofar as the assumptions have been since tweaked. And so there's lots of nuances across the board. But what I'm noticing is that people who are not otherwise qualified, and I say that with some hesitance because uh, proper qualification to interpret data is a bit ambiguous and broad. But, you know, without undue disrespect to those who, you know, are coming to this conclusion for reasons that are in their mind justified and they are qualified, most of the people who are jumping to this conclusion are not qualified to be stating this. Um, and I say this as somebody who has uh, his own opinions about how the data have been represented thus far. Um, so at the risk of being a little bit um, needlessly verbose and uh, shrouding my commentary in verbiage that's not necessary. Um, 
there has been this claim that, you know, just 6% of all these deaths are due exclusively to the SARS-CoV-2 infection uh, detected with RT-PCR. And while that is legitimate data that has been um, recently published on by the CDC, the conclusion that people are jumping to, therefore, is that that must mean that the virus is not dangerous and that um, an even smaller minority percentage of the total population of infected people in that area under the curve who contract uh, SARS-CoV-2 and thus COVID-19 will actually succumb to the disease. And in some respects, I understand why this has been considered, but it's incredibly premature and inappropriate. And here's why. The fact that 94% of people had um, pr- uh, other comorbidities and the fact that they were, you know, half of which were over 80 and so there's a significant um, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, immunosenescence effect so that there's this um, stepwise or exponential uh, age-related increase in risk for mortality. All of that does not change the fact that if you look at excess deaths related to the coronavirus, this particular coronavirus, across the last six months, um, even if you just look at a single month of excess deaths due to the coronavirus, this is not saying that the other 94% of these individuals have, have succumbed to this disease because of their other comorbidities. So this has, it may be the case that just, quote unquote, just 6% of individuals are dying from, uh, that's a very uh, inappropriate way to state that. Uh, Forgive me, allow me to back up. Of the approximately 1% or so of individuals who are at risk across the board on average, across age ranges, of dying from COVID-19. 6% of those individuals seem to have a risk exclusively from the viral load. That seems to be one of the takeaways in, interpret- in, in some kind of an interpretive capacity from that, those set of data. Um, apologies for the, uh, the confusion in, in that sentiment, but that's, I think, a reasonable takeaway. Now, having said that, um, that does not mean that the virus had nothing to do with the other 94%. What that means is that the virus acted as a catalyst for the other issues that had been already plaguing those patients. So, for example... Suppose, there, because we know that there's some significant risk with an odds ratio. I've seen odds ratios from three to seven for hypertension. Um, but suppose there's a five-fold increased risk of uh, mortality from having severe hypertensive 
conditions. So that's just one. Typically, people who have hypertension also have some, especially over time as they get older, um, significant renal problems and so maybe some chronic kidney disease and um, although not not specifically uh, but it, it happens and you know so they're at risk for other conditions but suppose they at least have that one one of the things we know for a fact at this point is that this coronavirus gets into the cell through the angiotensin converting enzyme 2 or ace 2 receptor on endothelial tissue cell surfaces and creates a havoc on the endothelium. And that endothelial dysfunction has led to significant thrombotic events in people who otherwise might have simply had these... I mean, clearly, it accelerated something that already exists, right? So we know that... uh, People who have significant hypertension above 140 over 90 um, millimeters of mercury have a substantive risk for stroke. They have a substantial risk for heart attack. But it accelerated these things because of its thrombotic potential because the vi- this particular virus, particularly how it enters through endothelial tissue, it predisposes to things like pulmonary emboli, and uh, myocardial infarctions or heart attacks and strokes by virtue of the fact that it promotes this endothelial dysfunction. So, you know, and it's more complicated than that. Um, But so is the interpretation of these sorts of data. So, you know, while I think there are important arguments to be made about things like the fact that 50% of people over the age of Uh, excuse me, 50% of individuals who have died from this are over the age of 80. um, And the median is somewhere around 79 uh, for those most severely affected. Um, And of course, the caveat there being that people have died all the way down to, you know, between the ages of zero to 19, although it's a very small number in comparison. Um, All of that information notwithstanding, this... The the takeaway from this new publication on the CDC uh, website is not to mean that only 9,000-something individuals of the current uh, population of deceased COVID patients in the United States are dying from COVID. That is absolutely the inappropriate takeaway from that new set of data. And, you know, far be it from me to you know, be the, the one, so to speak, to, to put that, uh, to halt that in its tracks. Um, clearly, nobody's going to listen beyond the, the uh, few listeners that I have here. But if I can at least sway some of you to think about this in a slightly more nuanced fashion, then maybe we can make some headway with um, at least dampening this a bit. Because what's what I'm noticing is that people all over the internet are are taking this and spinning it to mean that we should all just completely disregard everything that this the our health agencies and public health advisors have been telling us because, and I quote from one source who will remain unnamed, the CDC lied to us, unquote, as if that's uh, in fact true when it is not. Um, 
I'm, I'm feeling a little flustered because I think this is particularly insidious, this idea. Uh, I think that this virus has been misunderstood. Um, and because of the readily available knowledge and information that's accessible through the internet, people all over, and there are of course pros and cons to this, but people all over the world have been able to have um, easy access to these sorts of data. We've got people from computer programmers all over who are accessing um, data sets on things like Kaggle and other places where they can run some numbers. And while we need them for programming purposes, um, some of these individuals have absolutely no business trying to do the interpretive analyses on the biomedical side, which, you know, I mean, again, there are there are complications and consequences to these things that tendril out across different domains of society. But when it comes to something like a global respiratory pandemic that has a, a, a significant, that carries with it significant morbidity and mortality risks, I don't think that it's okay to allow people to, I mean, clearly we have to be careful because we have the right to uh, freely speak. But, important caveat, but um, that doesn't mean that there are no consequences to that type of speech. And this type of speech in particular, one of the consequences of this is that if you misinterpret this information and then convince others that your misinterpretation is correct and they take it literally, which I understand the contention will be that uh, they, it will be on them to take it seriously or not. Um, but those who do, who are vulnerable, may die at the behest of your misinterpretation. So this is, in fact, a very important problem that we're suddenly faced with because of this widespread misinterpretation. So just to recapitulate what I had said, because of its importance, because of its uh, potency to create uh, serious destruction, um, I'm, and I say that knowing full well that there are some recent data that indicate that we may be approaching herd immunity at an earlier um, capacity than we had previously predicted, but that's really not fully uh, explicated yet. Um, so people are still elucidating those data. But just to, to recap what I had said, the real uh, interpretation of that 6% figure is that 6% of people who have succumbed to COVID-19 may have succumbed at purely due to viral load and not as a function of their having other comorbidities that were noted. Now, they may have had other comorbidities, but the takeaway is not that these other people are just dying at a normal rate from these other problems, such as heart disease and stroke and cancer and things like that. If you look at excess deaths, that's clearly not the case, but also it fails to take into account that COVID-19 has been an accelerant or a catalyst for these other conditions by virtue of its mechanisms of injury. Thanks for listening to Clinical Appraisal, and I hope you'll join me again next time.